0: Thanks to Crime Malt, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and I'm joined by, by my good friend, colleague and regular co-host, Pete, Professor pilsner Mitchum. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. How are you going, Pete? Yeah, good. I was going to throw in something pithy, but I figured that uh, our topic of conversation today is probably a little bit um, a little bit more serious. Yeah, and I sort of, I wasn't uh, feeling entirely comfortable with that uh, sort of uh, light-hearted intro that I normally give. But uh, yeah, so but without keeping listeners in suspense, the, the the interview today or our podcast today is looking at a fairly you know, very important issue in craft beering beer circles at the moment, and uh, um, that relates to a uh, brewing brewing equipment supplier that appears to have gone out of business, leaving a number of aspiring breweries. Um, and existing breweries in the lurch, either um, out of pocket or with uh, brewing equipment uh, not installed. Um, the, the, the origins of the story go back about two weeks ago when the Crafty Pint, our good friends at the Crafty Pint, uh, ran a story that picked up on a Facebook post from one of the brewers involved who had decided, taken to social media to raise issues that they were having with this supplier. By by way of a warning to others? By way of a warning to to, to others and uh, to let them know. And it it appears that that warning flushed a number of other uh, brewers out who had been disappointed or who who were chasing brewing equipment. And uh, as a result, um, the the Crafty Pint, James uh, Smith, um, ran a post um, talking a little bit about that that seems to have galvanised the industry um, to to come together. Um, We first started looking at that, um uh, when we saw James's article at that stage the facts were very uh, thin um and we didn't think that there was anything to add to, to the general um unhappiness in the industry uh without injecting facts. Since then we've had a chance to speak to a number of the people involved, including an exclusive uh chat with uh Micah Rees, who was the uh businessman behind Core Brewing, the, the business at uh, the, the center of all of this. Um and that's what we're going to play today. But even uh I, I spoke to, to Micah on Monday, I mean we're recording this on Wednesday. Even in the conversations I've had with a number of people involved since then, um, there's been some corroboration of what Micah has said, and there's also been some dispute about some of the facts. So I guess um, we had initially planned to run some interviews uh, around the discussion with Micah, um, but it sounds like, Pete, that it's a story that's going to keep developing. There is more to come out. Um, and you know, perhaps at this stage that the best thing that we can do is uh, you know, play Micah's interview so we can hear um, his version of events uh, because at the moment his voice has been largely absent from any of the discussion. We, 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 with that um, little bit of uh, preamble, we might go straight into the interview, and, uh, and, and I start uh, in my conversation with uh, Micah by asking him to tell me about the evolution of core brewing.
1: We actually started, actually solely focused on stainless steel. 2011. Wait, I can, I can take it a quick step back even further than that. I moved here with my family in the end of uh, 2010. Um, my my wife is is from here. Um, and she wanted to move back home, and I actually come from the construction industry, but I'd gotten into homebrewing quite a bit. I couldn't actually find a job working as an electrician, which is what I tried to do for probably close to a year, and just wasn't having any luck. One of my really good friends was a home brewer as well, and he was just kind of getting back into it, and we kind of got to talking, sharing ideas and whatnot, and, you know, the concept came up of why don't we um, look at, you know, doing, you know, something uh, small-scale homebrew shop because, I don't think anybody, you know, would be surprised at the discrepancy in price, you know, in ingredients to be able to homebrew from the U.S. to to here. So that was the main reason behind why we did what we did because we wanted to enjoy the hobby, um, enjoy it for cheaper.
0: How, how did that go? How did that morph then into the, the idea of core brewing concepts?
1: So we started by going to. You know, know, some local suppliers, because we wanted to be able to try and source things locally. We started out, we didn't even have a website. We were just selling off of eBay. Um, And, you know, some of the suppliers were happy enough to let us do that, Um, you know, supply us that stuff so that we could service kind of the the homebrew industry, you know, more cost-effective ingredients. Look, 100% of the reason that we got into doing what we were doing was because we wanted to try and make it a little bit more affordable for other people. We got a chance to um bring in so you know, to find a supplier in the US who has some really good stainless steel. Um, and my partner at the time, he basically we had a um a bit of a split because I wanted to do the A A&H and C three. He didn't want to do it, didn't think there was enough money in it. We basically split over that so he went his way and I carried When on you say do
0: A and H three sponsor it or be involved in it or
1: sponsor it. So, you know, I saw the opportunity there, and you know he just didn't think that the you know the cost justified it, so we ended up uh dissolving our partnership. I kept the business um and basically paid him out um there at the start so the ANHC was great for us because that gave us a level of exposure that we um didn't really expect because nobody else really was bringing in that type of equipment. It was more your standard stuff: drill a hole in a kettle and put a threaded fitting in. it. And that was, you know, what we had was, you know, I'm not going to say revolutionary because it wasn't, but it was new. And new things people like. You know, now there's, you know, the Tadema does and everybody has this type of stuff. Um, so after that, we started, you know, we started getting a lot of requests and um, a lot of interest and. Look, to be honest with you, uh, everything just kind of just began to grow at kind of an unexpected rate because we hadn't really planned for it to be anything other than, you know, kind of just a small hobby business. We had people get, you know, we had other supplies, you know, supply stores get mad at us along the way, but that's the way, you know, that's kind of the way it is.
0: Mad at you for?
1: Um, Our prices. Because uh, they thought that we were just, you know, cutting the uh, the meat out of the market, and you know, it, it it was, you know, they thought that we were going to just come in, get our share of the market, then raise, you know, then jack our prices up, which which we never did. Um, we always stayed consistent with our pricing.
0: But in hindsight, can can you see that maybe those prices weren't just gouging the market, but there, you know, there were costs involved in running a business.
1: Yes and no. Um, at the time we we had minimal overhead because I was basically running everything out of my garage. I don't want to, you know, get into too much with, you know, about, about what other people do, what other people do is their business. And, you know, I, I, we didn't feel like it was fair, um, the amount that people were, you know, were charging. And so we decided to try and make a more cost effective option. That's, that's really the, you know, as simple as it goes, you know, we weren't, trying to directly compete with anybody else we were just trying to find our place in the market you know some people took exception to that and thought that we were you know that we were trying to you know undercut them or you know hurt their business which you know quite simply just wasn't true
0: and you you, you talked about there was quite a bit of momentum in the market you got picked up Um, your, your your business scaled grew out of your garage
1: yeah yeah did I grew out of my garage. I couldn't even park my uh my vehicle in the garage you know it, it was everything was everything was there i mean we were you know we were sending out you know quite a bit of grain I, I i um the biggest problem that we had was um we didn't have the finances to be able to put in a proper website and have an actual developer come in do our shipping and everything like that. so we were kind of guessing on location with our shipping look in hindsight. They say, they say, you know, um, yeah, the number one, you know, the number one key to success in any business is, is weather, um, is planning. And I think because things just kind of took off as quick as they did, we didn't take the appropriate amount of time to plan because when we got the stand, when we started bringing in the stainless steel and everybody was like, oh wow, I want that. And we're like, sweet, you know, we can do that for you. And, um, you know, it started out as just pieces, you know, bringing in fermenters and you know, stuff like that. And the other brew shops were like, Hey guys, you know, um, we want to, we want to be a wholesaler of, you, of yours because you're bringing in this cool equipment and it has a good name. And we're like, yeah, great. You know, no problem. And, um, uh, forgetting the whole time that we just didn't have the manpower to be able to, you know, to, to service that.
0: Service it in what way? Because you you were importing it and wholesaling it to, to the retailers. Is, is that is that
1: essentially that's true? Um, to to support it, anytime you're doing wholesale with uh, with another company, you really have to be able to make sure that you're available and that they understand the product, that they're happy with the product. So you really kind of have to act act as as their sales you know as their salesman until the product gets going and until their staff is. You know, it's it's, it's happy with things. And I I always tried to make myself available, but I should have been a lot more proactive in in trying to work with them and, you know, stage events and, you know, different stuff like that. I mean, I'd be telling a completely different story right now, you know, had I been more proactive. Uh, What what ultimately happened was we uh, ended up just asking for our equipment back.
0: Why is that they weren't selling in, in the retail outlets?
1: They just weren't selling. Um, and, it, and it wasn't that, it wasn't that they weren't getting people asking about it, it's that their staff wasn't educated on the product. Like their staff could go in and say, okay, a Blickman product, you know, great, here you go, we can, you know, it does this, 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 and this, and our stuff, but Blickman's, you know, has the manpower in to be able to support. And they also have the information out there to be able to support. We didn't.
0: I, I, again, I, I come back to, um, to the, the question I asked before where you were talking about you wanted to be able to do it cheaper. Um, can you see that some of these things that other businesses are doing are a cost to them to do to do, to do do it and that's one of the things that's reflected in the price that they have to charge and that if your margins were higher um, and your product was more expensive, you may have had the resources to do some of these things in the market?
1: Yeah, you make a really good point. Um... The only thing I can really say to that is, I thought that we could model things on a quantity over um you know over margin that if we could move enough enough product then the margins would take care of themselves. What we overlooked was customer loyalty and convenience
0: What do you mean customer loyalty and convenience
1: uh, look i mean you you're trying to get customers from uh, from other shops that have been dealing with those other shops for years and it's also convenient cuz when you're sending a product out you know it might take 5 to 7 days for that product to actually reach the individual who ordered it you you have you have people that you know say they've been going to this one homebrew shop for 5 years there's a lot of customer loyalty that's built up because they know the people you know they can sit down they can they can talk talk beer you know it's like going to the hardware store on a sunday morning it's comfortable. And so there's a lot of loyalty that's built up over that, you know, and and you know, they might have gotten, you know, you order stuff, you're a five-year customer every now and then. Uh, you know what? I won't charge you for it. Here you go. Just take that. You know, something like that. You know, it's it's little things like that. When you're just an online website, you don't have the chance to be able to do that with people.
0: I I've gone back and since all of this uh story broke, um I've gone back and read the Australian home, Aussie home brewer um, sites, and yeah, there's there a lot of talk about core brewing over over a period um, where people were asking, has anyone tried core brewing? Yeah. They seem to have the, these products, and one of the common themes that came through is that there seemed to be a product and a price that people were looking for. Um, people certainly talked about the prices, which is one of the things you mentioned, but the thing that almost from the beginning came comes through from the discussion is that you just don't seem to have had the systems in place to, and you've also mentioned this already, you didn't have the systems in place to make sure that stuff was getting out to them, people were getting wrong orders, and then you seem to make good that by, you know, there was one guy who from memory uh, ordered three bags of grain, um, there was a mistake with the, the order, and you ended up giving him one of the bags of grain you know as as a goodwill gesture Um, and another fellow uh, there was a mix-up with his order and he was never invoiced Um, it it just doesn't sound like even in the early stages you had the systems in place to to properly service your customers is is that a fair comment
1: yeah absolutely I'll I'll admit to that you know and that's what I said earlier it's it's uh, you know we didn't have the manpower to be able to do what we needed to do um effectively you know we just we just didn't and by the time you know I was trying to do everything myself um and look it it comes back to your point of saying you know if your margins had been different you know would you have been able to afford those people yeah yeah we would have sure um and and that's that's one of those things where I've always worked in the service industry, you know. So, so, and I get that. You know, I understand that retail is also a service industry. But by service, what I'm saying is, you know, we. I've worked construction, and in construction, you go out, you do a job, you get paid for a job, you go home. In retail, you send the product out, but that relationship lasts. People might not be happy with the product. You know, it, it, there was there was a really big learning curve for us when we started, and I always tried to make things right with people, saying, hey, look, we messed up the order. I'm sorry. Here's, I don't know, a 500-gram bag of hops or something like that. You know, whatever we can do to make sure, you know, to smooth this over because I'm trying to learn myself. I'm also too busy to sit there and look at my business objectively and say, we need to fill in some spots and we need to fill them in quick because this is – This is killing us.
0: Having heard that, um, you know, I I, I guess as an observer of the industry, I look at that and I see see a lot of businesses starting up where people who may have brewed in their garage suddenly want to open a brewery, and and I can understand that mindset. Um, And I guess if you're selling bags of grain to people um, where they they may lose a bag of grain here and there, that's one thing. But I, I guess... Your business then evolved to you started selling some very expensive um, systems to people and a lot of people haven't got those systems and invested a lot of money can you could you understand if they are very upset hearing you say these things now when they've trusted you with huge amounts of money that they were basing their their businesses on?
1: Luke I'm, I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna sit here and you know, begrudge anybody for for being upset when we went from, from small scale to large scale, that wasn't something that was planned. That was something that we got asked to do. We had we had one customer come to us and say, Look, I really like the kettles, but I'd like to know if you would build me a complete system with stand the kettles and everything. You know, we had uh friends who um fabricators and we went and talked to them and said, Can you do this? And you know, we found out the design, I went back to the supplier and I said, you know, this is what we're looking at doing. Can you make the kettles to, you know, to support this? Yeah, no problem. You know, we, uh, basically designed that first pilot brewery and got that done. It worked. The guy was happy with it. That was something that we never really, we never really advertised or expected. You know, some, some other jobs, you know, after after this one came in, some other jobs, you know, start people started asking us to do, you know, to do other jobs because they like this one.
0: What I'll say in
1: response to your question is the first few went really well, but we started getting more and more and more inquiries, and, you know, we were handling doing that one at a time, no problem. But when it started becoming three at a time, and everything like that, then it started to become a problem. So it's the proverbial, there's a handful of reasons why businesses don't do well. Or, you know, fail. One of them is, is that they grow too big too quick. So when a business grows too big too quick, it doesn't have the manpower to, to support the demand. And everything then just begins to snowball. That's a large part of what happened to us. We grew too big too quick. And we couldn't service the demand. I'd say the other side of the things that uh we were naive in our understanding of accessibility to cash flow, which again, out of a handful of reasons why businesses don't succeed, that's probably 1B. I've been to the majority of the banks in Australia. I've been to investors overseas. I've been to investors here. I've run everything I could possibly do in every single place. I've gotten the door slammed in my face. You know, to be able to get those access to, to those funds, and it wasn't it wasn't a desperation thing. It was it was a, hey, look, we have the numbers to show that we're we're a growing business, and that we're not just a growing business, but we're a profitable business. You know, we have that. Why will you guys not look at us? You know, there's there's a system. It's, you know, and, and if you don't exactly meet that criteria, like, they won't look at you. I don't have a, you know, I don't have a house, I didn't have equity. The only equity I could offer was, was the equipment. And nobody was willing to take, you know, to, to take us
0: on that. Could it also be that they were looking at the systems you had in place and were concerned that, you know, whilst the idea might have been sound and the custom may have been there, that your background, like you didn't have the backroom set up?
1: No, because because, uh, those type of institutions and investors, they look at a limited number of criteria. They look at your profitability. You know, they look at your turnover, your sales pipeline. You know, they look at your um, profit and loss statements, your balance sheet. It's all numbers to them.
0: They don't look at your business skill set as as part of that as being the, the the guy that's driving the business.
1: Look, we we had a we had a couple of investors add, ask us questions about that. As far as the banks went, you know, we paid our accountant to, uh, to you know to give us give us that. No, the the banks never asked us anything like that. Private investors, I mean, they you know we we got more of that type of a question. But really, the the one thing it came down to was. Can you service the loan, and is it too high risk for us? The reason that they wouldn't lend us money based on our equipment was because they classified beer as a niche industry. You know, and they're saying, well, if it's a niche industry, then how easy is it going to be for us to, you know, should we need to sell equipment, how easy is it for you know going to be for us to offload it? We we had we had a chance. We did. We 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 had a we had a chance to be better to not be in this situation right now. I'm not I'm not putting the blames you know squarely on 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 banks and lending institutions. I'm just saying that that was that, that that was something that we struggled with. We made mistakes. And that's really what it comes down to and you own up to those mistakes and that's what we're trying to do.
0: Okay, so the the business started growing. You started to to do some uh being asked to do you know one here, one there started getting more in, um, where abouts were you getting the equipment from?
1: We, we, did a, we did a lot of local fabrication. So our stainless steel work is local, and the uh, uh, kettles themselves, those were all uh, imported from the U.S. And then we did we did the assembly ourselves.
0: Were you getting stuff from China at any stage? Because that seems to be a route that a lot of people are getting their stuff from.
1: I I I try and use China as little as possible. Um when we started getting into the larger commercial stuff, we started having one or two projects that we that, that we you know, we did we had the fabrication done in uh in China for the for the kettles and stand and whatnot, but the controls were built here um you know, by local electrician and the uh uh the pumps were imported from the
0: U.S. So one of the stories that's been uh, one, one, you know, there's obviously been a number of people have been left um, either out of pocket or without brewing equipment. They, they talk about putting a deposit down and being told that they would have their equipment in uh, you know, six, eight, twelve weeks. What was the delay in getting the, getting the um, equipment sent out? What was what what were the problems with the supply? Uh, it
1: was it was. And just just to to make a quick correction, it, we never we never said you know you know six eight twelve weeks. It was it was always four to six months. You know anybody can question that as much as they want, but you know on the, at the end of the day, on all our quotes, it says it says four to six months. I think we ended at three to five months. We, you know we'll, we'll endeavor to make it sooner, but that was always the time frame that was that was listed. The biggest problem that we had was we. I don't think we uh wrote the quotes and contracts as clearly as as, as they should have been written. Um at the at the end we, we did have a have a lawyer go through and write all our terms of trade. That was too little too late. The biggest problem was is that I don't know, probably year and a half, two years uh into things, we started you know having problems with people paying us you know at all and a number of those issues are still ongoing to this you know to this day with very little resolution in mind when we took a deposit it was our we never I'm sure there's people out there that are you know calling us all kinds of things you know um, you know scam artists and all that and that's fine. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But, you know, not, never once did we ever sit there and take anybody's money and go, oh, well, you know what? If they never get their system, then, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, we treated every single project exactly the same. You know, at least we tried to, we tried to, to make sure that you know that we were able to deliver the project and that everything you know we did we tried to you know we tried to make sure that our communication and you know when when things started going really bad you know for us and not being able to get our money you know from other people then you know we couldn't get things out of port on time there's a lot of things that we couldn't do because it's a trickle-down effect you know we put money down we made initial orders yeah I mean you know we did everything we could and the other thing that we made a mistake on was these projects as the as the dollar dropped against the USD you know what we thought or what we had budgeted towards being able to pay you know these you know for these components all of a sudden started becoming more and more and more expensive. So all of a sudden, you know, you're losing 20%, you know, or you're losing 15% or 10% or whatever that you haven't budgeted for. You get there and money come, becomes short really quick, you know. And we had really good relationships with our suppliers, but there was no supplier out there who was going to sit there and say, oh, well, you know what, I'll go ahead and send the – uh send the equipment and I'll just trust you to pay me
0: isn't that what isn't that what the people who you were supplying the equipment to did though
1: what I'm saying is is that is that you're taking you're taking a deposit so you're taking a, you know a percentage deposit whereas we had to we had to make full payment it wasn't just you know a percentage or anything like that it was we had to pay for the stands or the kettles or all of that stuff 100% before we could get it delivered.
0: Isn't this also one of the things that in business, you know, currency fluctuations and things that, again, and I don't mean to keep going back to it, but you know, talking about the looking at somebody else's business model and say, I can do that cheaper without knowing that these are some of the things that those higher prices cover. Yeah,
1: you're right. Um, It's you know it was it was naive of me to think otherwise
0: some some of the some of the problems sound like they were going back um, 6 12 18 months is, the, is that a, a fair comment
1: I don't know that any of them have gone 18 months but but you know but yeah I mean so, some of the problems have gone on for quite a while
0: and were you communicating any of the problems that you were having to any of the people that you were dealing with um, to, to any of the brewers that you you were selling equipment to to sort of let them know that this is the problem. Look,
1: like I was I was communicating delays, you know trying to say, look, you know, I was trying to communicate information that I was getting. You know, our our lawyer would call, not lawyer, whatever. They'd call us our credit agency would call us up and say, "Looks like we're uh, we're going to get closure on this. You know, you should be able to get your money by the end of the week."
0: This is the money that you're chasing up from Brewers for equipment that you've supplied.
1: Yes, and so so what people don't understand is That I'm under immense stress and pressure as well Because I'm trying to get these projects done on time because I understand my reputation My business is riding on the line of you know depending on being able to get these things done and you know so so I get that message from our from our credit agency, and going, great. So then I call up whoever and say, okay, this is the time frame. And instead, you know, of waiting, you know, instead of sitting, you know you know being excited and going like yeah yeah okay we finally have resolution, instead of going, well this is what our expected time frame is. Um, you know we have. Setting expectations is essentially what it comes down to. And, you know, for me, it was such a relief to hear that from, you know, from our from our credit agency that I'm going like, oh, well, I have to go share this with them now. You know, then, you know, our credit agency would come back and, you know, be like, well, whatever's happened, you're not going to get your money now. And I'm like, you're kidding me. So I've set this expectation now, and now I have to go back and say, "I'm sorry, but we're not going to be on this timeline anymore." After a while, it's just, you know, people lose their patience. I can't sit there and move the process any, you know, along any, any, any harder than what than than what I can. And I've set this expectation with this with this guy. And now I have to let him down I'm sitting there I don't even know what to do I have no idea what to do
0: one of the things that I've been hearing from uh, people that I've spoken to a, a, about it is that they would try and phone they would try an email and they weren't hearing back from you about what was happening and uh, that when they did um, they were t- when they did speak to you um, they were told that Uh, equipment was on the water, it would be here in a month, then it would be here in a week, and then suddenly that date would slip and nothing had happened. Was equipment on the water, or were you hoping to have your own uh, debt issues resolved so you could place the orders?
1: I'll put it this way. I I still have their LCL shipments, but...
0: Sorry, LCL shipments are...
1: uh, Ah, see, are LTL, uh, less than truckload. Um, so basically it means that you're not, or, you're not ordering a full container. Right. I, st- I still have two LTL shipments on the docks in Melbourne that I can't get out because we don't have the financial means to be able to do it. Yes, they were, but I couldn't get them out because, again, it comes back to everything – you can make the order. You can pay for the order, you know, coming from coming from the U.S. But if you're not being paid, the money that you're owed, you know, and the shipping companies are sitting there going, "What do you want me to do with it?" And uh, and and all I can all I can tell them is, just work with me and give me a little bit more time, and we'll get it sorted out.
0: Could you have gone to the breweries whose equipment was sitting on the dock and explain this to them and you know if you're up front with them about some of the issues that you're having uh they could have got their equipment and would that have eased um the 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 cash flow problems
1: it, look it would have gotten one aspect of the of the equipment done but again coming back to I mean you know I I don't want to don't want to harp on the issue or anything like that you, you're right it, it it would have it would have you know and that's Something that I should have done, but I guess the way I was thinking was that if I can't deliver, if I can't deliver, you know, the the entire thing, and you know, I I did make one exception to that where I, I sent I sent a bunch of kettles up to to one person without without the stand, um, but you know, my thought was like was like because by that time, what. What what you the other thing that you have to understand is that because people were frustrated because I'd set and you know and expectation you know saying you know that I was getting from you know from from my credit agency you know and I thought I was going to have funds and I didn't have funds that you you know people were getting angry by this point in time you know. The emails that I was getting were extremely abusive. So I, so I was like, look, we've passed the point of no return. You know, nobody's going to sit there and go, oh, well, I paid you X amount of money. Now I'm going to pay you another, you know, amount of money, you know, for this. You know, at that point in time, you know, people were like, already, already, you know, saying what they were saying. And
0: to to be fair, they had waited. Uh considerable period of time before they got to that stage though, hadn't they? And if you'd spoken to them a little bit earlier, it it, it may have
1: well, we helped did, we, resolve the issue. We did speak to we did speak to people or you know, earlier. And and it was look, a big flaw in my character is is that when there's a really big issue that I'm facing, I give it all of my attention. And you know i i'm try, you know all I'm trying to do is resolve the issue that's it and you know i guess I don't when I get to that point I don't I don't communicate as well as I should
0: did you hide from it
1: no I don't think I was hiding from it I think I was trying to resolve and I was trying to resolve the problem
0: one of the things that has been coming out uh, over the last two or three weeks, there was an article on Crafty Pint about it and I, I think people had started talking. Um, one of the suggestions that's been made since is that uh, you know, as recently as the last month or two um, when some breweries had, sought, uh, had successfully got their money back and there was breweries who were very disappointed um, and were waiting for their equipment, that you were still out soliciting new business did it come to a point where you still said, look, we just need to resolve this and not take any more money in? Or was the additional sales part of the process to, to, to try and keep going?
1: Look, we, um, we we did reach a point where we just said, no more. You know? this When just, was that? Look, I can't remember exactly when it was, but, um, you know, it was... Probably, I don't know, a month or so ago, something like that. I I sat down and I just said, you know what, I I we can't we can't do that because it's just going to turn into a vicious cycle. And you know, I I guess I guess up to that point in point in time, I was still thinking that you know I could get. Our money back from the projects that we had finished you know every day that's gone by is just it's gotten less and less and less likely so you know I I still had hope up until that point in time but I sat down a month ago and you know or whatever it was six weeks ago and that's you know I said now this is uh we need to work out, work on the problems at hand and the problems at hand is you know, how do we get the money back to the people that we owe money to?
0: I remember, um, it was about three weeks ago, uh, seeing, uh, sorry, it was, it was the third of March, um, you had posted, um, an incentive program for Core Brewing. So obviously as late as then, you were still hopeful, uh, or you, you, you were still trying to attract new business.
1: Uh, look. Yeah, I don't. You know, maybe that was a last last ditch effort. I don't know. Um, you know, I I do remember that. I don't. I thought it was. I'm sure. Was, I don't know. Look, I don't know exactly what the exact date is on it. If you say it was three weeks ago, then it was three weeks ago.
0: No, sorry, it was it was longer than three weeks ago. It was the third of March. Sorry, was the um was the date.
1: Right. And and like I said, I it was it was about it was about a about a month ago next week's decision. So yeah, at that point in time, you know, maybe I was still hopeful that we could, you know, work our work our way out of problems. You can't go through what we've been through and not learn. And I guess I was hopeful that we had learned from our you know, from our mistakes and that we could we could uh we could move on. But that's just not the case because sometimes Sometimes, you know, hits to your reputation and not just your reputation, but confidence in yourself and everything just can't be overcome. That would probably, you know, that would explain us. When I made the decision, we, we, we took, we, we shut everything down. Um, you know, I, I know we had a lot of really great friends in the industry most of those relationships are gone now there's no there's no coming back from what we've been through and what's happened you just can't so we're you know we we shut down all of our social media and our website um you know and in the uh in the process of um you know shutting down the business as a whole i can't i can't let myself ever let this happen to myself or anybody else ever again. It's just not, it's not in the cards. The only thing that I'm considering and thinking about at this moment in time right now is, you know, how we, how we pay the people back that, you know, that we need to pay back.
0: Is that a possibility?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. We don't have the, we don't have, (laughs) I don't have two pennies to rub together right now, but, I'm not going to stop until it's done, you know, because if there's one thing that I'm not going to let happen to myself, I'm not going to look in the mirror and be unhappy with what I see, you know. I want to do the right thing. I have to do the right thing by other people. This is no exception. So, you know, I'm, like I said, Matt, right now that's, that's my only priority is making sure that all of these people get what you know get what's owed to them. Uh,
0: is, is there any sort of plan in place? Have you contacted any of them to discuss you know even repayment options or anything along those lines?
1: Yeah, I'll um, I'll be doing that over over the next week um, and and talking with them and and just uh, um, you know finding out where you know where where they're at. And if they're even open to, uh, you know, to working something out like that. I I, I don't know if, if, if too much damage has been done. I really don't. And, um, you know, I, I hope people are open, to, you know, to talking and, um, you know, and working out a solution. It's something that's that's gone on long enough and, you know, it needs to end.
0: Should you have contacted them before it all got to this stage to, to look at how it might be resolved?
1: look hindsight's twenty twenty yeah sure um if i if I could live in hindsight i i there, <laughs> you know I would have never built that first brewery you know that first pilot brewery you know i you know it's yeah hindsight's great, but it it doesn't do anything moving forward
0: michael Rees, thank you very much for joining us on radio Brew's news
1: uh yeah you know, like anytime Matt. and i I appreciate you uh letting us um, hopefully clear some of the air.
0: And, uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Well, there you go, Prof. Um, The the information's out there um, in terms of the other side of the story, if you like, and at least that other side of the stories out there now and the, and the information's there. That um, I'm sure this isn't the end of it. Look, I, I, I think that's enough uh, for, the, for this episode, Prof. I don't know that Oompa uh, music and uh, Roll Out the Barrel is appropriate Not as um, appropriate, no, no. And for those disappointed by that, we'll, um, we'll give you two next week when we do <laughs> yeah. perhaps a more uplifting and um, uh, happier edition episode of Radio Brewers News. Prof, always good to, uh, to chat with you. And uh, yeah, we do have some great podcasts uh, uh, coming up. We do. We, next week we're going to be speaking to Jamie Cook, who is one of the founders of Stone & Wood Brewing. But it's not going to be in his role as uh, Stone & brand um, ambassador or um, brand yeah, ambassador or, or co-owner or, or founder. Third, yeah. Um, it, it's going to be, you know, as somebody who's spent a long time in the craft industry. He's worked for both of the uh, large, the yep. large national brewers. He's uh, and worked in marketing. In in marketing, um, both for uh, breweries and also for craft. And so, yeah, it, it seemed with all of the excitement, we're getting a lot of news out of the states where um, I posted a, an article today, where they're talking in the states that uh, craft beer's big, biggest enemy is craft beer at the moment, or you know, the biggest battle is with craft beer. Um, we, we, we seem to be at a stage um, where the, the market's maturing, and we really don't know what it is this thing that craft beer is. You know where we are and where we're going. So we thought that Jamie would be one of the um, experts that we'd like to to go to when we throw some of these questions. He's a thinker and he's uh, certainly been around for a long time to give us a little bit of perspective. So we'll be talking to Jamie about that um, next week. And we've also got a couple of great guests lined up. As always, if you've got anyone that you would like to hear, let us know. Um, But until next time, uh, Prof, take care.